I'm not working yet, am I? There it is, okay. Now, two weeks ago was Easter. And uh, how amazing that is. And the, just the fact that the greatest day in the year, celebrating the greatest day in human history, the reality that Jesus is risen. And it's, uh, I love the season of Easter. As we celebrate the fact that Christ is risen, that he is not dead, that our Lord reigns at God's right hand, even right now. And I was thinking about it this last week, and that how the, the world around us, um, people who, who aren't sure about Jesus or who think he's not the way, um, for them it's a long weekend. You know, it's an extra time, maybe have a meal with family, and then it's over. And yet for the church, the church goes on celebrating Easter for weeks, for seven weeks actually. And the church around the world, our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, we are continuing to celebrate Easter, the fact that Jesus is risen, that he is not dead, he is not in the grave, that he is risen. And so one of the ways that we are celebrating uh, Easter, the season of Easter, is continuing to have communion each Sunday for the whole season of Easter as a way to celebrate and to remember what Jesus has done. So I've been thinking about this this passage about what it means. And so I've been thinking about how to maybe unpack some of what God has done on the cross, what Jesus has done on the cross. And I was reading through Romans, and the language that Paul often uses there is, is that you are no longer slaves, that we have been set free. And so picking up that language, that we have been set free, I was working on, or been working on this series for the next four weeks, that we are no longer slaves, that we have been set free through Christ. What he's done on the cross and the fact that he is risen. So this week we're studying the, one of the big ones, uh, is that we are no longer slaves, that we have been set free from sin. As we sing about it through songs, as we pray about it, to talk some more today about the reality that we are no longer slaves, but in fact we have been set free even from sin. And I thought about this week, it's, for me, it's, well, I think actually for a lot of us, it's difficult to talk about sin in church. One, because the world around us doesn't really like the idea of sin. The idea that there's right and wrong. The idea that there is God's way to do things. The world around us doesn't really like to talk about that. The world around us, uh, most of us, we've, you know, from our experience, people don't really like the idea of right or wrong. There's just your opinion and my opinion. There's just... You're the way that you live and the way that I live. But as I read scripture, I think that there is definitely God's way. That there is a right and wrong. But it's hard to talk about it because of the culture around us. But also it's interesting, it's difficult to talk about sin in church sort of for a different reason. One is because we have heard about God's forgiveness so many times. The church, we have heard about it thousands of times. So we're tempted to take it for granted. We're tempted to hear about God's forgiveness and our sin and our brokenness and what he's done to to forgive us and to take it for granted because we've heard it so many times. We hear it almost every Sunday. And so we hear that Jesus died on a cross, that we are forgiven, that we are set free from sin, and we're tempted to nod our heads. Yep, I know, you're right. Maybe even thank God for that and then in a few hours, go just back to life as normal. Many of you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, you, many of you heard about Jesus, about his death on a cross and our forgiveness in Sunday school. 
And you've heard about it almost every Sunday since. And so it's really tempting to hear this amazing news and take it for granted. I think, you know, I've heard it before. That's something that's broken in us. I realize it. I do it all the time myself. When I hear something that someone is teaching, and I think, and I say to myself, you know, I've heard this before, it is really hard for me to appreciate what they're saying. It's part of our fallenness. It's part of our brokenness as people. We think, oh, I've heard that before, and we take it for granted. I am praying this morning that we hear the words that Paul, is going to, that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, this good news that we are no longer slaves, that we have been set free from sin. I pray that we hear that this morning, and we hear it in a new way. We hear it in a way that reminds us, and in some way begins to change our lives again. So let's read, if you would, uh, this portion of Paul's letter. If you'd like to, you can turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Oh. <laughs> I was looking at here, it still says Mark chapter 16. I thought I changed that. But on the, the actual section, or the, the scripture portion, it does actually have the right verses. So if you want to look at this white sheet as well, it's there. So it's Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 18. <clears throat> Before we hear this word again, if you would, please pray with me. Father in heaven, we praise you for your word. But even more, we praise you for your son and what he has done and what it means for us that he died on a cross and that he rose again. Lord, as we continue to celebrate that good news, we pray that you would help us to hear your word this morning as your Apostle Paul speaks about sin and forgiveness and grace, Lord, that we would hear it again anew. Lord, that somehow in this morning as we hear your word, that again it would take root in us and produce fruit. We pray for your help, Holy Spirit. Amen. So listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He said, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in a sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God, does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit, by the Spirit of God, are sons of God. 
For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we are in, in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. <clears throat> so this morning, there's a lot there. <laughs> we're going to take a few weeks to work through that passage. This morning, we're going to focus on just verses 1 through 4. In this short section, Paul is encouraging this church in Rome, this church that was 2,000 years ago, filled with Jews and Gentiles or non-Jews all together in one church. He's telling them that Jesus has died on a cross, but he has risen again, and through that they are set free from their sin. And it's interesting because it begins with therefore, and I remember many of my teachers telling me if there's a therefore, you need to check what it's there for. You need to go back and understand what he's saying. What's the argument up to this point? And so Romans chapter 5 through 8, don't worry, we're not going to go through all of it right now, but it's all one large section where Paul is trying to explain to this church the amazing thing that Jesus has done. So 5 through 7 is explaining that Christ, through his death on a cross, they have been set free from sin. That through his death, their sin has been atoned for, has been cared out or looked after. And so now in verse 8, or actually chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Therefore, because Jesus has done this, there is no condemnation. There is no separation for God, from God, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now this is amazing news. But then he goes on to say that because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. That through Jesus, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, we have been set free from the law of sin and death. Now, scholars talk about, well, what, does, what is Paul talking about in the law here? Is he talking about some sort of uh, general law now, or is he still talking about the law that, that God gave Moses? And I think he's still talking about the law that he gave Moses. See, Paul's trying to explain to this, especially some of the Jews that were in that church, that they thought, you know, if we can just follow the law, then we'll be righteous. But they were finding out, as anybody would find out, that because of their weakness of their flesh, the desires, their... their um, inability to keep it perfectly, but actually the law was causing them to fail. Even as good as the law is, because God had given it to them, they were unable to keep it because of the weakness of their flesh. And because of the weakness of their flesh, they were being condemned. They were unable to do what God desired for them to do. No matter how hard they tried, no matter how righteous they thought they were, they were unable to do it. It's a reality of human nature that we are broken and we don't have to look too hard to see the brokenness in our lives. The times when we know the right thing to do and we don't. The time when we even feel God saying, this is what I want you to do. We say, not right now, God. Do you know how inconvenient that will be compared to everything else I've got going right now? Jesus is saying, I know that you try, some of you harder than others, 
But no matter how hard you try, you are not able to be righteous. You're not able to be perfect before God. And so rather than waiting for us to figure it out because it wasn't working, God sent his son. He sent his son who was blameless and pure, who was righteous. He sent his son and his son died on a cross. In some ways, like a sacrifice from the Old Testament, it was through his death that we were made clean. In other ways, it was that Jesus gathered up sin, all of our sin, your sin and my sin. He gathered it all in one place and condemned it on the cross. That through his death there, in ways that are still mysterious to me, God has saved us. He has reconciled us to himself. It's interesting, in one of Paul's other letters to a church uh, a few miles away in a place called Corinth, he said that him who had no sin, Jesus, who had no sin, became sin so that we who are sinful might have righteousness before God. Jesus has taken our place. For all the times that we've stretched the truth a little bit, or a lot, for all the times that we cut the corner that we knew we weren't supposed to, for all the times we lost our temper and said things we know we never should have said, for the things that we regret or that we're ashamed of, God has taken care of that. Jesus has taken care of that on the cross. And I know sometimes people say, well, why does God have to be such a stickler for this stuff, right? You know, why can't God just kind of kind of look away and, and overlook it? I mean, sure, I kind of cut a few corners on my taxes, but I mean, everybody does, right? Why, is, why does that matter to God? Or yeah, I know I lost my temper, I know, but I mean, everybody loses their temper, right? Like, why does that matter so much to God? Part of it is God's nature. God is holy. That means there's no sin in him, nor can sin even exist near him. And that's the way we want God to be. As much as it makes it difficult for us, that's the way. Can you imagine following a God or having a God who wasn't holy? who didn't care what right and wrong was? Can you imagine a God like that? How horrible that would be. Imagine a God who wasn't too concerned about murder, who just kind of overlooked it. Or what about a God who would just turn the other way in situations like rape? Or what about a God who would just sort of know that they didn't mean to really hurt people when they were making children into slaves? Imagine a God like that. How horrible that would be. I wouldn't follow a God like that. We want God to be holy. We want God to be just, to be a God who takes care of justice. But we also need a God who's merciful. Because we can't have it both ways, right? We can't have a God who's really holy and just with everybody else, but just overlooks our stuff, right? You can't have a God like that. So even as hard as it is for us to have a God who looks at our sin, even the stuff that maybe the world around us says, you know, it's not that big a deal. But we know. When we're honest with ourselves, we know that even the tiny little lies, the ones we think that we're telling to kind of make things easier for everyone, even those are still lies. Well, the times when we have all this extra money and we think, you know, I'm going to give you know, 
10 bucks because that's pretty easy for me to do. It's not going to cut into my latte budget. Even then, we still know that our greed gets the best of us. I don't have a latte budget, just for those of you who know. <laughs> but if you do, don't worry, there's forgiveness for you. <laughs> but we need forgiveness. And Jesus has done this on the cross. He's been our substitute. The things that we did that separated us from God, the things that we did against each other that God would have been really angry about, or I'd say that actually is really angry about, the ways we hurt each other, those things have been forgiven because Jesus is our substitute. And in ways that are even still difficult for me to totally understand, he was also a sacrifice. He stood in our place. It was through his blood that we have been made clean. But not only that, he's also this amazing king. And in the ancient world, a king would represent his people. So him being on that cross is is in another way representing all of us there. By him hanging on the cross, suffering the penalty of our sin, we have been made clean. But not only that, but through the cross, Jesus has victory. He has defeated sin. He has defeated death on the cross. All of these things, any one of them are amazing, but all of these things happening together on the cross that work out in us being forgiven, us being able to stand before the Lord our God without, being fear of, without fear of being destroyed. We have been forgiven through Christ. Now, if you read Romans, Romans is, is a great letter, but it's very theological, <laughs> And even this morning, even as I talk about it, some of you might be thinking, you know, this is great theory, and I totally agree with it. Theologically, spot on, great. But how does this work out in our practical lives? How does this work out practically in my life? Well, part of it comes like you have to undo some of the stuff that we get from the culture around us. Like I said in the beginning, and the culture around us really hates that word sin or the idea of right and wrong. There's just your opinion and my opinion. I remember when I used to live like this. Before I was really following Jesus, I was constantly asking, like, well, who says? I mean, for example, I, uh, when I was in college, I drank a lot, partied a lot on weekends. I'm pretty ashamed of it. Stuff I would do or say. But I remember, you know, talking with people like, well, what is drunkenness? And who's to say whether drunkenness is good or bad? And that's just one thing. There's other things in my life that I'm ashamed of. I regret that I did. Times when I lied. Times when I kept money that I shouldn't have. So I see the way that Jesus, the fact that he died on a cross that I have been forgiven, begins to work out in my life. Because the world around us tries to tell us, you know, it's just your choice or my choice. It's just your understanding of what's true and my understanding of what's true. There is no truth out there. There's just your preference and my preference. And so we just let each other do our own thing. But I don't know about you, but even in my life when I lived that way, I knew it wasn't working. 
there was this deep sense in me that things weren't right. And either, even if I tried to dismiss it or to deny it, the things that I was doing was setting up barriers. It was setting up walls between me and God. I couldn't come to God very easily. It was setting up walls between me and other people, even people I cared about. One of my things was selfishness. And I see how that contributed to the failure of my first marriage. I don't know if everybody knows that, but I was married once before. And it ended horribly. Part of it had to do with my own sin. So as much as the world around us try to say there's no such thing as sin anymore, there's just different opinions about what's right and wrong, I have to say that no, there actually is God's way. And what God describes, especially through Scripture, there is right and wrong. And no matter how much we try to convince ourselves that there is not, there is. And it sets up barriers between us and God, our Father. It sets up barriers between us and other people. But the amazing news, the amazing news this morning is that Jesus died on a cross and then rose again. That sin, we have been set free. We are no longer slaves to sin. That has eternal implications. That someday when we all shuffle off this mortal coil, when we all die and we are stand before the Lord God, that we be able to stand before him righteous and clean because of what Jesus has done, no longer terrified for what the implications or what the consequences of our sin are before him. I know it's old-fashioned, but I still believe that without following Christ, that we are separated from God. That if we don't follow Jesus, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Without following him, that we end up, when we are dead, we end up being separated from God. And that is hell. Hell is being separated from God our Father. In, in, in the book of Revelation, Jesus talked about those who aren't following Jesus, they not only die the first death, they die the second death. It means ultimately they die completely. But for those who follow Jesus, for those who have trusted their lives to following Jesus, your body might die, but your soul does not. And there's hope because one day your body will be risen again. We'll have a new body in the new heaven, new earth. So the fact that Jesus died on a cross so that our sin might be forgiven has removed this barrier between us and God so that eternity we get to spend with him if we'd only believe into him and follow him. So it has amazing implications for us way in the future. But I also believe that it has amazing implications for us in life right now. The fact that Jesus died on a cross, that we have been that we are no longer slaves and we have been set free from sin has implications right now, today. We've been set free from the regret of things that we've done or said in our past. We've been forgiven for the times when we've hurt people that we care about. We've been forgiven. The shame that I believe that Satan would use to hold us down, we don't have to live under that anymore. We've been set free from the shame of the things that we've done. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You look back in your, in your life and you know the things that you are ashamed of. Things that you wish you could go back and change. You wish you could go back and do it right. We've been set free from that. It has implications for us right now even. 
As the, the, the wall, the sin that came between us and God has been removed. It's been taken care of in Jesus. So now we can come, no matter what we've done. Even what we've done, even this last week, those of us who have trusted our lives to Jesus and we've messed up again, we can come before the Lord our God, our Father in heaven, and say, Father, forgive me. And we know that he has forgiven us through his Son. That is amazing news. God doesn't say, never will he say, you know what, I'm sorry, but you've finally done it. I'm sorry, but that's the last straw, you're done. He will never say that to us because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Not only that, but the the separation that comes between us and other people because of sin has been removed. The things that we do to each other, things that we mess up and say to our wife that hurts her or offends her, or him if you have a husband, (laughs) things that we do or say, we can ask for forgiveness. And when someone hurts us, when someone says something or does something that hurts us, because we have been forgiven, we are more able to forgive. It begins to remove the barriers between us and other people. So it is amazing news today that Jesus died on a cross, that he took our place, that God gathered sin all together in one place on the cross and condemned it there. And that because of him, now we are righteous, that we stand before God. Not as enemies, but as his children, because of what Jesus has done. This is just part of the good news. The next few weeks, we're going to keep unpacking this, of what the cross, of what the resurrection means for us. But today, we hear this amazing news, that we are no longer slaves, that we have been set free from sin. Amen.